Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MMA Archive. Man, feels so good to say that. Um, we look forward to record the, recording these and, you know, being consistent with it. I just wanted to give a shout out to OTS Media and as well as my boy Derek. Um, definitely put me in a position to make me feel not only comfortable, but feel like this is bigger than me. Like, this is a project that for a long time I've been trying to get off the ground, and I will admit it's been hard for me to stay consistent with. But um, through having our other podcasts um, on, on the sidelines, guys, and just being able to be consistent with that, it really showed me that I can do this. And the fact that um, I get to talk to you guys about what I'm passionate about and then learn some MMA history at the same time is really dope to me. So with that being said, today's episode is going to be focused on UFC 1. Yes, the origin story for the UFC, the first event in 19. 19- 93. Wow. Uh, what a journey. I'm looking forward to getting, getting started. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be looking at over this document I wrote up. So if you see me wandering a little bit, that's why. But um, like I said, the first ever UFC event, UFC one, the beginning, this is the name of the event. It was, it, sorry, it took place on November 12th, 1993 at the McNichol sports arena in Denver, Colorado. The TV announcers for that night were Bill Wallace, the the great Cleveland Browns running back, Jim Brown, and Kathy Long. So it was beautiful to, to watch this back and actually see that the first UFC event actually had a woman on commentary, which is amazing. Um, technically, there hasn't been a woman commentator on a live UFC event um, in the modern era. So the fact that this happened in the first ever event was definitely um, something that kind of blew me away when I was watching this event. Um, the ring announcer was Rich Goins. It's so strange not seeing a buffer there. But um, <laughs> Goins is a character, man. He, he like would repeat everyone's last name twice. So be like, Hoist Gracie, Gracie. <laughs> I don't know if that'll hold up today, but it was funny watching um, that style, I guess, of, of commentary and announcing back then. Um, this this fight card was an eight-fight fight card, and it was a tournament. Um, the tournament format is still present in MMA, not in the UFC, but in other organizations. And th- this was wild, like, Obviously, MMA now is much more focused on the fact that everyone has to have a certain requisite amount of skills in all of the aspects in order to be successful. I think specialists nowadays tend to fall short once they get to that upper echelon of the division. And it's just so wild to see how it all began and how everything was built literally based on every person's individual fighting styles. Um, So cool to watch. And just wild so let's get right into it to be honest um the first bout of the night took place between Gerard Gordeaux who was a savat fighter um which is French kickboxing if I'm understanding correctly versus Taylor Tuli a sumo wrestler 412 pound sumo wrestler to be exact um it was really cool to see Ray Cooper in his corner as well it's insane how much he looks just like his son um, Ray Cooper III, who's a PFL fighter um, nowadays, but he looked exactly like him when he was younger. It's insane um, how much his son looks like him and how I immediately noticed him. I was like, is that Ray Cooper? Um, 
just historic from the Hawaii martial arts scene and the fact they're still doing the thing today is really cool but this fight man this was a hell of a way to to start off this tournament I mean I'll just get right into it um Gerard Gordeaux came out in only the gi pants not the gi top and Taylor Tuli came out in almost like a traditional I don't know what what else to call it but a skirt um with it had a pattern on it and they got right to it man after a couple of seconds, Thule literally ran over at uh, Gordo and started to push him back towards the fence wall. And um, you could see Gordo trying to trying to line him up for a shot. And he eventually, as he kind of touched the back of the fence, actually, he he turned off a little bit and threw a big uppercut. And and that was the first thing that hurt Thule. This is seconds into the fight, so it was just wild um, how fast the progression is between these two and the size difference. I mean, Gerard Gordeau was probably under 200 pounds, and this man is just huge compared to him. So he's rushing him. Gerard Gordeau sort of falls back and lands this uppercut, and then Taylor Tully falls down immediately against the cage and sort of tries to grab up on the cage to bring himself up. And in that transition, Gordeau does a nice hop step back um, in almost an L direction and literally just lands the most savage head kick that still gets played on the highlight reels today. Um, just a, a huge shot landed exactly with the crook of the foot, like of the bone. So it was the foot is here. This, this would be the foot. It landed with this part of the foot, which is devastating because it's mostly the shin um, that was landing right across his, his mouth, literally. Um, and wow, just what a way, what a way to start this event off with a bang. Um, he won, they eventually came in. It was, it was a little strange. I'll admit the rules for this, um, entire event was basically, there is no rules, but you can't, um, eye gouge and you can't, <clears throat> I don't I believe it's just eye gouging and you can't um willingly hit to the groin which i found interesting because a couple of events later you see you see that blatantly happen but um in this no holds barred event literally within the first couple seconds he was a down fighter what would be considered now a down fighter and he just got blasted with a head kick and you see like after he gets hit with the head kick his face, like he's he's facing the, the the fence at this point. His face, like literally, smushes up against the octagon because of how he literally got knocked out. Like you could see him sort of just entire his entire weight bow out into the cage. And the doctors ended up coming in and they ended up stopping the fight. He wanted to continue, but the fact that it happened in that transition, I was glad that they stopped it because the momentum of the fight was completely halted. And in my opinion, it was a, a good enough shot to warrant the stoppage. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they were trying to get away from the idea of a, a referee stoppage. Um, the only way for there to be finishes was either by submission or by the corner throwing in the towel. So, man, just just a savage way to start off the night. And I'm sure everyone in the back was watching that and, and they all had a collective sort of, Oh shit moment. And just looked at each other and was like, this is real. This is happening. And we're in it. You know, this is, <laughs> we got to go, we got to go. Um, and this, this ended at 26 seconds. This was the fastest fight literally of the entire night. Um, so 
the fact that it started off like this, I'm sure a lot of people were in the back freaking out. Now I got to go out there and follow that. Uh, crazy, crazy stuff. But the Savat fighter won in that first matchup. And it was just really interesting to see how they build the fights. Like everything is really based on their individual styles. And <clears throat> man, just what a big win for, for Gerard Gordeaux. Then the second bout of the night took place between Kevin Frazier, who was representing kickboxing. Sorry, Kevin Rozier, who was representing kickboxing, coming up against Zane Frazier. This is an interesting sort of stylistic matchup. Um, they were both some of the taller people in this competition. So well-matched in that way. And, and the fight itself played out that way. I mean, this was the longest fight of the night. So <laughs> kind of going back to back with that, um, this one ended up going four minutes and 20 seconds. The, what's interesting is this event was actually billed with five minute rounds. So it wasn't um, unlimited rounds. As a lot of people say that came on in the, in the following event, this one w was five minute rounds, but they never reached the five minute mark in any of these fights. Um, this one came the closest though. And man, this was a war like out, out of all the fights. Sorry, let me shut off this phone I keep getting notifications sorry about that you guys all right sorry about that you guys so this was a war this this was a a very evenly matched fight. You could tell by the way it went. And as soon as the fight began, Kevin Rozier just came out sort of rushing uh, Zane Frazier and trying to land shots. And he's a big, imposing guy. So it, he definitely did do just that. Um, they started going at it. He ended up bringing um, Zane Frazier towards the cage. And this one was really the most back and forth fight of the whole night. Um, it began with Rozier landing good shots up against the cage, but then same Frazier was able to get a, a, a reversal up along the cage, put Kevin against the cage and began to, I mean, it's just wild to see. It's even wilder to say, but he grabbed Kevin sort of by his hair and, and, the, and the commentators made light of this because you see some of his hair literally falling out. Um, he grabbed him by his hair and was just landing some vicious, dirty boxing and, and knees as well against the cage. It, it's so cool to watch this too and with a modern lens because I feel like a lot of these techniques and strategies are still prevalent in MMA. Obviously not the hair pulling, but um, the dirty boxing against the defense and those knee attacks, especially it looked not, it didn't look modern, but it looked um, you could see sort of the evolution of the sport and how this is now a metagame. This is things that people are constantly working towards getting positions that people want to be in still to this day. And um, Zane Frazier had a lot of success there against the cage. But then you see around the three minute mark, you know, after touching him up a little bit and throwing some big shots, Zane Frazier starts getting tired. And it was surprising to see him get tired first because he looked a little bit more in shape than Kevin Rozier, if I'm if I'm being honest. Rozier is a much bigger man, like I said earlier. And you see him still pushing the issue, still um, pressuring Zane Frazier. And Zane Frazier is having a hard time even just walking back. Um, and then that's when you know someone's truly, you know, really gassed and winded. Um, he, he, he sort of was wobbling with his back steps and just trying to find... Um, 
a place in the cage where, for lack of better words, Rosier wasn't able to follow him. Like, it looked like he was just trying to avoid as much as he can to catch a breath. And Rosier was not having any of it. He just kept pushing forward, landing shots. And then eventually, this is one of the most savage moments of this event as well, in my opinion. He really got him super tired up against the fence and started landing bombs, just landing big shots from a standing position while Zane Frazier was on the ground, just hammering down blows. Um, it was pretty vicious. And then to top it all off, um, he just starts blasting him with stomps to the head from that position, holding onto the cage, raining down these stomps. It was just honestly hard to watch, especially after um, such a back and forth fight, just to see him outlasted in that way and completely gassed and just getting bombed on. It, it, that was one of the moments where I was really it was really hard to watch and you were just hoping like th this is why we need <laughs> referee stoppages and eventually um his corner Zane Frazier's corner did throw in the towel to save face because man that was just that like I said that was hard to watch and a brutal KO I, I would recommend the, these last two specifically these first two I mean um really devastating knockouts and sort of set the tone for the night I'm sure Everyone was in the back riled up after these two because, wow, um, just a back and forth fight and the brutal, brutal stomps that finished it off. Um, crazy, crazy bout there. And that puts Gerard Gordeaux as well as Kevin Rosier as two of the semifinalists now. So next up was the third quarterfinal bout. And the debut of the Hall of Famer, Hoist Gracie, representing Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. The reason why this whole tournament was put together to showcase Jiu-Jitsu against all these other um, styles of fighting. And he was coming up against Art Jimerson, who was ranked in the top 10 in, in uh, WBC division in boxing at the time, which I find wild because when you think about it, that isn't... <laughs> No disrespect, but that isn't too much of a high accolade, but um, Art Jimison came out representing, and it was it was so cool. I, I feel like a big part of this event that makes it so, like, interesting to watch as a spectator is you see the difference in approach. Like, Hoist Gracie came out in his gi entirely top and bottom, and Art Jimison came out with no shirt on, some boxing shorts, some Nike boxing shoes, and one glove on his right hand so bizarre um from what i understand in in the event there was wrist wraps allowed to prevent um sort of damage to the wrists on impact but you could not wrap the knuckles themselves which i found interesting because art was able to use a glove i don't know why he didn't choose to use both but he chose one and that one glove literally um, ended up coming to hinder him, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. It was just wild to see them sort of, especially with today's climate, it's hard to see accurate representation of the fighters as far as what they're wearing. They, they, there's sort of a uniformity to it. Here, every single fight, it was just like, you could see the differences between the people just based on how they chose to show up and compete. And um, 
just a just this one's a really interesting one because you can see how far um the game has come today and as in a lot of ways things are expected of you as a mixed martial arts fighter and this felt extremely short of those expectations um hoist gracie was able to get a really nice well he started off circling um circling the ring with art and sort of lulling him into this false sense of security by throwing sidekicks with his with his leg and sort of keeping him at bay and then eventually pulling him in with those sidekicks because he's, he's sort of creating a barrier a barrier to entry for art so he knows that kick is coming so he's staying right out of range and sort of hopping out of range as he's throwing it but eventually he fakes a kick and sort of just goes straight for a double leg and it was a beautifully timed double leg he landed straight into side control with it and then passed immediately to mount which was just so cool to watch like the technique as far as application and the goal from those positions in a lot of ways today is still the same not a lot of people are, are able to dominate and hold them out the way hoist gracie did but i would say he got the mount within 40 seconds in and then the, had it in the entire time until the fight ended at two minutes and 18 seconds just insane he had him mounted and started working trying to find a submission but Art Jimson is sort of bucking and trying to get out and flailing underneath him. Um, I hope you guys don't hear that. Someone, we got an alarm going off over there. But um, Hoist Gracie literally stood on top and was bucking, following him as he was trying to move under him. And after after some prolonged time trying to trying to work towards a submission, Hoist Gracie didn't even get to work towards a submission as Art just decided to tap. And you could see it confused Hoist even like it wasn't something that I'm sure he's accustomed to when training jujitsu with his partners back at home in, in Brazil. Um, that usually is in a position. I mean, it can happen, especially with injuries and things like that. I think a good example, a modern example um, of when that happened was in the Dustin Poirier um, Anthony Pettis fight where they got caught in a transition and Poirier ended up in Mount and holding that high Mount with the body triangle from the top and as he sort of put that weight on um pettis's ribs he ended up tapping to it this one didn't even look like that either though it, it was a high mount um he didn't have a body triangle and just from the pressure and holding on to that position he was able to get the tap um th the glove did not help him at all in those positions he was just holding on trying to do whatever he could to to prolong it and to prevent himself from getting submitted but it was just it was just bizarre to <laughs> bizarre to watch um as far as technique though it was really cool because like once again this this felt like a modern fight in a way like the last fight was a backyard brawl that you could sort of, sort of see at the denny's parking lot but this one felt definitely more like a not a modern bout but you could see modern skills and and in 1993 to see those transitions um it was it was really wild and sort of refreshing to see like in a way these things still work today but there's just so much other skills that you're you're dependent on having in order to make those skills work um but wow uh blown away by hoist gracie's performance there just also kind of confused by art jimerson and his reasoning for tapping but hey like i said at that's at this time those things were foreign these were not everyone was training jujitsu and 
like I said, the things that are sort of expected of you now, then um, it was nothing like that. So it, it was really cool to see that one. And obviously see a legend, um, his first bout taking care of business. Next up, another legend, the fourth and final quarterfinal bout. Um, Ken Shamrock, representing shoot fighting, came up against Patrick Smith, the hometown hero from Colorado, representing Taekwondo. Um, their walkouts are really interesting. Um, Ken Shamrock comes out looking like a pro wrestler, just bricked up. You could tell he's on all the supplements. <laughs> and he literally just had the, the un, it looked like underwear. Like, uh, what else do you call them? Just the wrestling underwear, the tights. Um, not, not as small as a speedo, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. And he had his knees wrapped up like a traditional wrestler would. Um, and Patrick Smith looked more like a boxer. He had some big boxing shorts and, um, no shirt on, but this fight was interesting, man. Um, Ken Shamrock closed the distance immediately, brought it to a clinch and eventually was able to get Patrick Smith down with a beautiful inside trip. and was able to work immediately to get some some real good position on him he was working towards towards a mount Patrick Smith was doing a good job of sort of getting his legs in the way and trying to retain full full guard which once again was interesting to see that position from two people who technically weren't versed in jiu-jitsu at the time um Ken Shamrock obviously shoot fighting includes grappling in wrestling um and trying to go for submissions but it was just like I said, another flash of the modern day sort of positioning, modern day metagame. Um, and it was, this was really wild though, which is you don't expect. Ken Shamrock almost sort of is working towards the mount, uh, sort of a high, high guard position, sort of trying to remove Patrick Smith's legs. And then he just drops back for a heel hook. He grabs Patrick Smith's leg drops back and starts working for it um Patrick Smith didn't look too aware of what was going on and definitely tried to address it but his way of addressing it was to attack the foot as well which ended up not serving him well because he instead of getting his own foot out in any way he was just leaving himself there to be attacked and um Ken Shamrock after some time it took him a little while he ended up working to get that submission and ended up getting the tap. And you could see Patrick Smith was in excruciating pain by the time he tapped out. Um, but that bout ended up at one minute and 36 seconds via heel hook. And the fact that a heel hook <laughs> is being done in the first event, 1993 is crazy. Um, crazy. Cause even in jujitsu culture, in a way, leg locks were sort of frowned upon for some time. So in a way I feel like he was definitely ahead of <laughs> ahead of his time and really cool to see because you see sort of the advantages to knowing this position when you're facing somebody that isn't too keen on it. One mistake, now you're in a desperate position where you could really end up hurt pretty bad. And to be frank, that's exactly what happened. Um, just another great performance. And now we got our whole semifinal picture is laid out. Um, the brackets ended up as followed. You had... Gerard Gordeaux in the first matchup against Kevin Rozier, the first two winners, and then finally Hoist Gracie against Kem Shamrock, something that a lot of people were considering sort of a potential main event in this one. You got in the semifinals, so really excited to talk about these. Um, 
and once again, just the momentum of the night at this point. Think about it, you know, two knockouts back to back. Then we get a, a two submissions back to back and all within uh, under four minutes, all of them, most of them ranging in that one to two minute mark and just definitive wins and also matchups where you're pointing to and you're saying, you know, for the most part, who knows how this could have worked if it was matched up differently. Like I would have loved to have seen Hoist Gracie against Taylor Tooley and see how different that bout would have been because he's not landing a head kick, or at least I don't think so, on this large man. And would he been able to make those skills work against somebody that's so much larger than him? Um, we didn't get the opportunity to see that, but the, the, the matchups, the way they played out, I think definitely added to the lore of the moment. Just you see all these things happening and it's just like, you wouldn't have expected that. You wouldn't have expected this small, slight looking Hoist Gracie to, to be doing so well. Ken Shamrock, obviously, he's an imposing figure. It's understandable, but you wouldn't expect him to win in that way. At least I did it um, coming into the event. So, man, we get a sip for the semifinals and go right into it. So next up, the fifth bout of the night. Um, keep in mind, this is now the second fight that each of these guys fought in the night. And the, the commentators did a great job of letting us know sort of what state these guys were in. Um, Gerard Gordeaux actually injured his right hand from that uppercut that he landed when he was getting charged by um, Taylor Tooley. And you see it. It's extremely swollen when they show his hand and the the cameraman did a really good job of sort of continuing to point to that for both of these guys because both of the both of them had hand injuries from the first bout and that's a big theme considering you know they didn't have knuckle wraps that that adds to it you know i'm sure that it, it was much easier to break your hand especially when you're in these wild situations you want to throw hard you want to you want to throw with some impact but at the same time you, you're not thinking about how you could be damaging yourself so it's interesting to see how the nhb no holds bar fighting with no gloves and um no no wraps on the knuckles can really change the approach of fighting could really change the way in which you could throw punches and sort of approach your your, your bouts so this one was a fun one man um gerard gordo looked like this was, this was, if you point to one of these fights and say, like, this was, in my opinion, the most interesting as far as it showed the potential for modern striking styles. Um, Gerard Gordeaux immediately started chopping the legs of, of Kevin Rozier with leg kicks on both sides um, and, and really damaging him. You saw... Uh, in the earlier fight, Kevin Rosier was charging forward and really making it making an issue. And in this one, I don't know if it, en energy played a factor, considering he fought earlier in the night in the most grueling fight of the whole night um, against Zane Frazier. But he looked slow, and especially after getting chopped down with those leg kicks, he he looked like almost stuck in place. And Gerard Gordeaux just swarmed him, started landing big right hands with that same injured hand. He didn't care. He was throwing it anyway. Um, and that's what they always tell you. You hear corners say it all the time. You know, they come into the corner and they're like, my hands hurt. And like, you got to throw it. Like, it, it doesn't matter if it's hurt. You got to throw it. And he did just that. He landed some big shots with it. And after some time, um, 
started landing head kicks on the ground again. So to getting reminiscent of that first fight. Um, obviously, this time you didn't see Taylor Tulis <laughs> too flying out like you did in the first fight, but you saw you saw he came very close to landing those highlight kicks again. Um, and eventually Kevin Rosier's corner ended up stopping it at 59 seconds. Um, just a crazy fight because, like I said, it was dominant. It was one-sided for Gerard Gordeaux, but just very interesting how it played out. It just felt very modern. And it felt like a lot of the striking approach today really still centers around those main ingredients, kicking the legs and making position to, to throw a lot of shots in the way he did later on in the fight by sort of wearing on your opponent. Um, and it happened a lot quicker than you would expect, obviously with 59 seconds, um, but just, it was crisp. It was really cool to see just, especially those straight rights towards the end that, that finished it. Um, obviously very, very, very brutal stuff. I mean, Gerard Gordeaux just, <laughs> this is the second time now tonight that he finished with the Savage knockout and the first required a doctor stoppage the second required a corner stoppage so um set up a, a really interesting finals versus whoever ends up on the other side of the bracket against him so finally we're getting on to the second semi-final bout which is the sixth fight of the night remember there was eight fights in total we'll, we'll get to that in a second i know you're like how is there six how is this a six fight when there's the final left We'll get to that in a second. But Hoist Gracie representing Gracie Jiu-Jitsu up against Ken Shamrock, who's representing shoot fighting. Um, like I said, this was the main event. This was what everyone was anticipating from the beginning of this tournament as far as a potential matchup that could be in the finals. Um, and this one did not did not fail to deliver. Um, Hoist Gracie, you expected him to sort of go about the same sort of passive game plan as he did as Art Jimerson and we were entirely wrong um he brought out that same Gracie stomp that same little sidekick to the leg sort of a modern day oblique kick you would say see John Jones throwing those um it's inside and outside but it was more of an outside um stomp for hoist to sort of keep people at distance but he ran up and threw that first and then immediately shot him for a takedown which was stuffed um, which I found really interesting, sort of seeing the fact that his grappling looks so dominant, especially his wrestling in the first one looks so dominant. He was able to take down Art with a slick double leg. This time he got stuffed and then ended up on bottom and pulling guard. And you could see Ken Shamrock wasn't used to that, wasn't used to somebody wanting that position. Um, in a way, he, he started trying to maintain the top position and, and and he looked almost confused as to why he would want him on his back um well hoist would want to be on his back so to speak <laughs> sorry if that was a little confusing but um man it was just really cool to see him pull guard and then start working from there um ken shamrock is sort of holding him above for a while and and trying to not be not put himself in a position where he's in trouble and then eventually um you see Hoy start working towards what kind of looked like a triangle at the start of it, but then he starts working towards sort of reversing the position. And that's where sort of things all unraveled for Ken Shamrock. And instead of what I found fascinating was he sort of climbed him 
on the side, if that makes sense. And I know this is hard to picture because Hoist is on his back. He starts climbing up to the side of, of Ken Shamrock and, and isn't level, like isn't looking towards him, but is, is climbing up on his back and ends up going for um, a, a choke straight away. That they didn't even go to secure the hooks. He, he locked in the choke straight away. And it's sort of, if, if you could imagine this, Ken Shamrock is now bowed out sort of on his knees facing the, the mat. And Hoist Gracie is off to the side, almost in a side control position. Um, but turtle, where Ken Shamrock is turtled up and he grabs the choke from that position, never needs to put his hooks in and, and ends up getting the tap. And there was some controversy at the end of this one because Ken Shamrock tapped out about four times. And then as they were getting up, it looked like he tried to tell the ref that he didn't. And that, that pissed off Hoist Gracie. Hoist was like screaming. And, and it was kind of hard to tell what the commotion was about, but I can only imagine it was because he was saying, no, he already tapped out. How did you not see that? Um, but that was only at 57 seconds. So once again, Hoist was able to land some really, really adept ground moves. And this one, I felt like in some ways, while it was nowhere near as far as Art, Art Jimison being out of his depth, I think in a way, Ken Shamrock was sort of out of his depth in this one because like I said, he didn't even need to retain the hooks. He was just was able to get that neck from the side and, and finish the choke from there. Uh, really interesting position. You don't really see that today in MMA, um, which I found crazy that both of his submissions that night sort of were, were things that wouldn't work today. Who knows? Um, but that that was that was really cool to watch and, and witness. And then next up, they they planned this out very smartly to give the guys time to recover for the main event. They had an alternate bout um, between Jason DeLu DeLuca and Trent Jenkins, who was also from Colorado. He was representing American Kempo. And this fight was really good. Like I was really surprised watching this one. Um, Jason DeLuca actually starts the fight throwing hook kicks um, and almost lands one pretty hard, which I found really cool um, because once again, in the modern MMA, you rarely see people landing hook kicks. Um, and it's just a rare thing to throw, you know, like in a bladed stance, side on and throwing the kick up like this in sort of a, 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 a hooking motion using the heel. So the heel of the foot is coming up and then whipping across, sort of across your opponent's chin. And um, you could tell, man, Trent Jenkins, they want no parts of that. He was like running back every time he would throw one of those. And it was just interesting to watch because after that, they both started exchanging just straight kicks. Um, Trent Jenkins did uh, sort of a spinning roundhouse. And then Jason DeLuca actually threw a wheel kick. And I'm just like, what, what am I watching? Like how... <laughs> Not that these are modern techniques or techniques that have never been done before, but compared to the striking on the rest of the night, I feel like both of them were doing things that were way ahead of their time. And um, they, what I found fascinating is none of it really worked. Like none, none of them landed significantly. Um, I would say the hook kicks landed the best out of all the kicks that was thrown by both of them. Um, but then eventually Jason DeLuca clinched up and immediately was able to get a really slick inside trip as well. And, and took um, sort of 
that that top position and I don't know how exactly it happened but Trent Jenkins sort of immediately tried to go to his back um from that back position and um <clears throat> Jason DeLuca went straight for it put the hooks in extremely fast and sort of locked in that choke lightning quick it was it was honestly in my opinion this submission looked much better than um hoist gracie's previous rear naked choke it was executed very quickly and once it was locked in you could see it was very tight just by the way trent jenkins was fighting it um he wasn't able to fight the hand successfully so in a way he was just sort of stuck in it and trying to fight it out and you could see the squeeze was very very tight and i was just impressed at how quickly for somebody who was coming out so heavily oriented on the striking um, was able to wrap up a submission so quick. And he mentions, you know, in the in the interview after, he was saying that the Gracie system had a big impact on him, and now he's going to be doing a lot of submission fighting in, a, in addition to the striking, which I found fascinating. Like, did you just observe it and then decide you were going to do it? I, I don't think so. I'm sure he must have done the trade, trained those chokes before. Um, but just, just, I would say this fight in my opinion, was one of the better fights of the night. And it's fascinating to hear that out of an alternate bout, but um, was was one of the more interesting in the way that you see these modern flashes, like I mentioned earlier, of things that you can see have worked recently, or even now is still considered rare. Um, so just crazy to watch. That, that was really cool and sort of set the table for the, our main event. Oh, and I forgot to mention that one ended at 52 seconds. So another quick fight, another quick finish. All finishes, as I mentioned before. And now we're going on to the main event. We're here already. It's crazy. Um, I had a, such a fun time doing this. But Hoist Gracie coming up against Gerard Gordeaux. The lore is there. Both of these guys have two wins, dominant wins. And in the same way, Hoist with two submissions, Gerard Gordeaux with two knockouts. And he took home Taylor Tulis tooth with him. So just I'm sure that you know the the, the way in which um Gerard Gordeaux won his fights was playing into Hoyce Gracie's mind to some factor. You know, that you can't watch that twice and and not have some sort of thought about that happening to you. So that's why I found this one even more fascinating because at this point. The, the story's already out about how Gerard Gordeaux's hand is injured. So the, the commentators are suggesting he goes with the more kick-heavy approach. And as soon as the fight starts, um, Hoist Gracie does it again, exactly what he did against Ken Shamrock. He sort of leads the dance and immediately goes in for the shot. Um, this one was interesting, too, because this is the first time you saw the modern interplay with the cage, where Gerard Gordeaux did, did a very good job of clinching up with Hoist and using the cage as an anchor to keep himself up um, and not allowing himself to, to, to get taken down. Um, and he almost, at, at some point, was able to reverse the position, but Hoist kept working him back towards the cage and eventually was able to get a slick um, inside trip. And once he got on top, he was able to secure the back mount immediately. And Gerard Godot, it, was, it felt like it was only a matter of time um, before he, before Hoist was able to sink in the choke. And when he did, 
I will admit, um, Gerard Godot didn't fight the hands at all, but he was trying to tough it out as, as best as he could. He wanted to try to get some sort of chance to get back on the feet, but Hoist just didn't give it to him. He ended up finishing the fight via rear naked choke, the second one of the night for him at a minute and 44 seconds. Um, just slick and methodical the way he finished this fight. And we got a champion. Um, we have our first champion. And obviously, he didn't get a belt at this one, but... He won $50,000 for winning three fights in one night, which is crazy to think about, um, especially when you think about the figures today. It's such a shame that um, some fighters still are getting paid less than this for one fight. Um, but <clears throat> he was ecstatic to get the, the check, ecstatic. And it was so funny. He sort of had the classic moment where he's like, I'm going to Disney World after the, after the bout in the interview. Um, just endearing a hundred percent. He's the, he was the underdog coming in just based on his stature. He felt like a much smaller man compared to everyone else in the tournament. So to see him come on top like that, using just skills, um, modern skills that you could see could be used today, uh, whether or not they will be as effective or whether or not his opponents would be as unaware today, definitely not, but, um, just slick stuff, very methodical wins for Hoist Gracie. And that was it. That was it. So it's time to hand out these awards. So what, what, what's going to make this show different is we're going to be recapping all the fights. But then afterwards, I have some some awards that I want to be giving out for every event, four of them in particular. So let's run them down. Fight of the night. This is what I consider. Obviously, you hear it all the time in the UFC events. They give out bonuses for these as well. Just my criteria is, in my opinion, this should be a back and forth fight. It shouldn't be one way traffic. Um, and I think hands down, the fight of the night went to Kevin Rosier versus Zane Frazier. I really encourage you guys to look this one up. Both of these guys had their moments where they was putting it on the other guy and really felt like a, a stoppage could be imminent. And then eventually um, Kevin Rosier was able to really weather the storm and, and have Zane Frazier in a place where he was extremely tired, unable to defend himself and just rain bombs on him. Um, brutal stuff. And I would say just the most competitive close fight of the entire night. Um, and the fact that it went four minutes says speaks to that even more. So that's my fight of the night for UFC one, Kevin Rosier versus Zane Frazier. Next up, this is what I'm calling the performance of the night. Now this you may hear this in today's rhetoric where they say performance of the night, and it's really the knockout of the night or the submission of the night, which are the other two awards. My performance of the night is a little different in the way that I'm looking at it as who had the best overall performance, who showed their skills in a certain way and really sort of capitalized on their opportunities. And I feel like that's what Jason DeLuca did in his fight against Trent Jenkins as I mentioned, sort of coming out with those hook kicks, starting the fight with striking and sort of getting the opponent thinking about striking and then going straight for the takedown and landing in the dominant position and just going immediately for the choke. It was so much got packed into that one minute. Um, so it sounds like it may have been longer than it was, but um, that's why I gave this my, my performance of the night because I felt he showed everything. And at this stage of the game, it's 100% hard to do that. So I, I'm hoping maybe when I when we're going through the future events that we'll see him again and we'll get to see how his style holds up. But that that's my performance of the night for UFC one. 
Next up, knockout of the night. It has to go to Gerard Gordeaux against Taylor Tooley. You see that two fly. You see the blood. You see he's bleeding from his eye as well as his mouth um, from the savage beating that he received in less than 20 seconds, less than 30 seconds. It, it was crazy um, and started off the night with just a huge bang. And to this day, like I said, this, this gets shown in highlight reels all the time. Just a really slight build guy, taller, but slight build just sending this sumo wrestler to hell, bro, with the, the nasty head kick. Um, this has to be your knockout of the night, in my opinion. And finally, submission of the night. I gave this to Hoist Gracie in the main event. And I know that may be a little controversial. Some people like the Ken Shamrock one more. I just feel like this one was a lot more clean, a lot more methodical. And the way in which he went and got the choke, it was very much what you see today he had him bellied out he stretched him and then locked in the the submission kept the hands in a place where he couldn't fight the hands um it was just such a technical very well placed submission and in my opinion um it felt the most um satisfying in a way because the other two submissions i had as i mentioned while they're impressive they they didn't feel like they had a place in the modern mma game which is fascinating to me um, just based on watching these things and sort of seeing, you know, I don't, I don't really think those things will work today, but this one, this, this submission against Garago though, really felt very modern. You see sort of these sequences all the time in modern MMA and the fact that he did it in the finals, um, just adds to it. So just to recap, once again, fight of the night, Kevin Rosier versus Zane Frazier. Performance of the night, Jason DeLuca versus Trent Jenkins. Knockout of the night, Gerard Gordeaux versus Taylor Tooley. And then finally, submission of the night, Hoist Gracie versus Gerard Gordeaux. Just really fun stuff, man. I encourage you guys to, to check this out because I was surprised when watching this at how, how fun these fights were, but also like the atmosphere, the 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 way this was built, it was just a, a really cool event and very quirky. There's a lot of things that don't go on today at all in MMA. So it was just really refreshing to watch. I want to say thank you guys for coming along the ride with me. I'm hoping in the future to have somebody else here with me because I will admit it's a little, it's a little tough here talking to yourself, but um, I had a real good, good time sort of recapping all these fights and laying it out there for you guys. So um, I'm interested uh, in moving forward and just continuing upon the path as far as chronologically looking at these events and sort of seeing the evolution of MMA and giving some shine to these guys because they're the real pioneers of the sport in a lot of ways and to watch the first fight ever and then eventually the conclusion of the first tournament ever. Um, it just really felt cool, man, especially someone that watches all the events in the modern day um, to, to know where we came from is really dope so that was the mma archive you guys looking forward to episode two next week um we'll most likely be covering ufc two and there's a lot more to talk about in that one than this one um these were all finishes and we'll get to that when we get there but thank you guys i hope you all have a good one i'm chris negron you can catch me at negron mma on twitter as well as chris negron underscore on instagram um it's been real you guys I'm out.